In order to keep bringing you guys tons of free content, we work with brand partners who you'll hear from in this episode, including an advertisement from Zopa Bank. Welcome back to the Talk 20s podcast. We all have so many talents and qualities that make up who we are, but often we feel confined to pick or focus on one thing for our career. But as we move into a more forward-thinking, digital-led world, more and more of us are becoming multi-hyphenates. Having several jobs, skills, and talents is something that should be celebrated and is most often the case for those of us in the creative industries. Today, we're joined in the studio by the wonderful Kalade Ladipo, creative, actor, artist, dancer, the list is endless and why should it stop there wherever you're listening to this podcast lovely listener please can you hit that subscribe button and on with the show so hello Claude. welcome to the podcast I literally have said to you literally just now I feel like I'm living in Claude's world because I have been watching you on different podcasts and then we've just had coffee beforehand and I already feel like I know so much about you and literally adore you already yes hi my love I know thank you so much thank you for having me I'm super excited and yeah welcome to Claude world yeah love it <laughs> So tell us a little bit more for anyone who doesn't know who you are, who are regular listeners. Tell tell us tell us who you are. So Kalade, wow. Um, first of all, I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. I'm a creative. I study acting at Lipa. I'm a professional dancer. Um, I'm a photographer, film photographer specifically. Yeah. Um, I'm a multi hyphenate creative. I, yeah. I like to do anything that's creative. I'm a little do a bit of um movement direction on sets as well for artists as well. Um, and I'm just a fun bubbly guy. Mm-hmm. I think we should talk about that kind of multi-hyphenate yes. career because especially when it comes to creative industries, we are all so many things and mm. we have so many skill sets. But I think often society and work and career puts us into different, you know, camps or boxes or whatever you want to call it. And mm. they they make us try and choose one thing. Mm. But the thing is like, especially in the creative world, your skills can be lended to so many different things. And that's what we kind of wanted to focus today's episode around on like all the things that you can kind of do with a creative career. Um, so let's dive in, like being a multi-hyphenate for you, like how, how does life look, if that makes sense? Life looks so crazy. Yeah. Like I've been in London every single week for the last eight weeks, mm-hmm. busy working. I think each of those times I've had a bit of play in London, like partying and whatnot. Yeah. But like, I'm always working. I live in Liverpool. I'm based here. So I'm always working here as well. But like, it's very um, up and down. Sometimes there's loads of loads of work. Sometimes there isn't. I've, I'm very, for me, I'm very, very grateful to have so many different opportunities. For example, I was on the Tinder campaign for 2023, the Pride campaign, 2023. Super, super exciting. Thank you so yeah. much. And then we had a dinner with them as well the following two, three weeks after. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some shoots as well in London. Um, that happens. I'm also a part-time part- bartender as well, just mm-hmm. to pay rent and whatnot. Like, you know, we have to do that. Yeah. Um, and so... It, every week looks different. Um, I like at the moment, I'm really liking waking up early. Um, no phone for an hour, reading my book, um, working out every morning. And then I sort of navigate the rest of the day. I have my own brand, Noir Gaze, which is a one-man led team. I have a supporter with me. She's, um, she's I guess you could call the editorial um, side and she does all the writing side mm-hmm. because academically speaking yeah we're gonna get into that yeah (laughs) I'm not very academic but like where I I thrive in my creative yeah um but she helps and when she can she's also a third year student at the University of Oxford so she's very very busy great very handy (laughs) very yeah like literally (laughs) she studies English so like she helps me brilliant amazingly (laughs) um so yeah so every day is very different you know um different opportunities coming I'm navigating 
my brand and who I reach out to and who I want to work with my brand. But then I'm also also thinking about the next shoot I'm doing that I'm going to be the model for or the next sort of campaign that I'm on. It's it's very up and down, very, very different mm. every single day. I think a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to that though if they are in the creative industry mm. because you never really know, like it's not like you're getting up and doing the same thing and doing the job, never. you know, that is that is the same. Like there are so many different opportunities out there. But growing up, did you feel like like being in a creative career like this, did you, did you kind of see that for yourself? Did you feel like it was available to you, if you know what I mean? So I've been very fortunate, actually. My dad has always pushed me to do what I want to do, mm-hmm. even when I was unsure, or rather I was scared of going through what I wanted to do. For example, through my whole school career, I always knew that I was going to be a creative person. I, yeah. I've always wanted to be creative. Yeah. Like I did, I think, art, drama, history and French for GCSEs. And then I did art, drama, media for A-level. So like... I was always going to be creative. Yeah. I always knew I wanted to go to drama school at the back of my mind, even though I applied for fashion school, which uh-huh. not many people actually know. Yeah. I applied for fashion school and I got in. And then literally last minute, I like um, results there. I was like, no, I want to do, I want to do drama. I want to do drama. And then mm-hmm. I got into Goldsmith through clearing. Mm-hmm. And I did drama and theatre study for a year. And then my dad was like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, if you want to go to drama school, you want to go down the acting route, like I'll make, I'll, I'll pay for it. We'll find, we'll find like um, apprenticeships. We'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. I was like, no, 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 I want to go fashion. And then I changed my mind. Mm-hmm. And then during my year at Goldsmith, I started applying for drama schools and then I got into Lippa. And as soon as I found out I got to Lippa, I just couldn't be up to audition anywhere. They're expensive. I didn't really, I kind of also liked the idea of being outside of London. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just went for it. But yeah, like my whole childhood, I've always been very, very, very creative. I've always been dancing on the dance floor and everything like that Mm -hmm. so I've always known that dance was always going to be a part of my career as well um like everyone's always seen that for me and my parents have always seen seen that for me but my dad has always been like do whatever you want to do and I think that happened because he wanted to be an architect and he started his degree but couldn't finish it for so many different reasons um and then he, he, I don't know if he regrets it, but, or he still wishes his dreams could come true. And I always say to him, like, you're never too old to follow your dreams. Like, yeah. he now does dabbles in it when he goes back home to Nigeria, which is where we're from, our heritage. Um, so he, he does build, he builds houses there and stuff like that. So like, he That's still cool. gets to live his dream. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he's always said to him, him, he's always said to us as children, like, always go for what you want to. Like, there's, you only live one life. Um, even when our parents, and even when he wanted me to do like, you know, be a doctor and stuff like that. Like, but he's always said like, I'll never, like my mum, was the one who really wanted us to be like academic. Mm-hmm. But my dad has always been like, yeah, like there's no point. Like if, if that's not where your heart's at, don't bother. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's always been in my in my vision since I was a little child. I think it's really tricky like for, for the listeners like tuning in, like when your parents want you to kind of do a certain thing like I have always dreamed my daughter would be yeah. a lawyer or a doctor or in my case it was a teacher. Yeah. And you kind of quickly realise that that isn't what you want to do. And when those like mismatches like don't align, like it's always amazing to hear and and so nice to hear that your family have been very supportive of you because I know that isn't the reality for a lot of people who kind of want to be in the creative, creative space, but there's like judgment. Yeah. And especially because like, I come from a very, very traditional African Nigerian household. Mm -hmm. And so my mum, my mum's also like, I like to call my parents very stereotypical Nigerian parents in, mm-hmm. in their morals and their ethics. They're very, very liberal, but they're also very, very, very like African. Mm-hmm. And so like, even though my dad was very supportive, in other ways he wasn't. And so like, I always did feel that immense pressure of being very academic. Like it was instilled in us like at a very young age. So like, it, I'm very grateful that, you know, like my mum even now, she's like, what are you doing now? What are you doing? Like, like, and like until like, and I think for a lot of parents, it's like until 
they see the the money come in, that's when they can be like, hey, cool. Yeah. You can breathe a little bit. Because they have sacrificed a lot. You know, I yeah, went to yeah. private school, which was, which was very, very hard for my parents. We come from a very working class family. And my parents are immigrants as well. I'm a first generation um, Nigerian. Like I was born in Germany. Long story. But I was born, <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Germany. So like we're first generation um, immigrants. And so like, mm-hmm. it's very important that we, we, you know, we, we, we make ourselves a name for ourselves in whatever way that means and are successful so that we do better than our parents. Mm. Well, let's take it back then to like childhood, teenage mm. years. What was that? What was it like for you growing up? You, you just mentioned, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, went, you mentioned that you went to boarding school. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. Okay. So I would say to people, I enjoyed the idea of school. I enjoyed the <laughs> idea of being okay. eight hours with your best friends, chilling, just and just learning. I love learning. I think it's so cool. But like I struggled a lot heavily. Um I was bullied severely. I don't mm-hmm. know why I'm saying that with a smile on my face. I think it's because I've healed from it now. Yeah. But um, or I'm healing constantly from it. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it was it was it was really hard, very, very difficult. I didn't tell anyone I was being bullied. Everyone saw it, didn't tell anyone. I couldn't tell my parents because I wasn't the I'm gay. If you don't know. Um, <laughs> just to highlight just that. Just to highlight that. I'm very, very gay, guys. Um, and I come from a Nigerian household. And yeah. that was very, very taboo. Very, very known. Big no-no. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't tell my parents that I was being bullied for being gay. Because they're like, well, you're not. But I was like, yeah, but I, I am. So I came out at 15, 14. Almost got disowned. Almost got kicked out of the house. Basically mm-hmm. got kicked out of the house. And then I was like, no, I'm straight. So then I got let back in the house. But I was living a double life because I was at boarding school. So everyone at school knew I was gay. It was fine. But at home, I was like, no, no, no. Da, 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 da. Like, oh it was literally gosh. time. And then at school, mm. I was being bullied physically and emotionally. I was pushed downstairs. I had a knife put to my throat at one point. I was pushed against walls. Like, it was it was awful. And, like, I never told anyone because of that whole idea of, like, being a snitch, which is so bad. Like, and, I, and I, it's something that I really, really am against now. Like, if, if speak up. Yeah. Like, who cares if you're a snitch? Like, your, mm-hmm. your well-being is much more important than being branded as a snitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed my friends, my girlfriends. A lot of them are still, I'm still close with. Um, I had a few support teachers. Um, for example, like my art teacher or one of my art teachers, Miss Christopher, I can't remember his surname, but Chris. And then um, my drama teacher, Mr. Norman, Richard Norman, shout out to you. They were like really, really big pillars in my, in my, my life. Like Mr. Norman gave me so much wise advice to do with being gay and queer, but never ever made it about being queer. Like he would never use the word gay or queer right, because yeah. he never, because it just wasn't something for him to say. He mm. wanted to just say, okay, this is how life works, you know? Mm. This, and he's always, I was, something that was always highlighted to me was like, this is just a period of your time. Like I was talking to a friend from school actually, who's just turned 18, so he's still at school. He's still at the same school that I went to. And I was like, listen, like once you leave that bubble, like the real world is completely different. Like Bishop Stortford is like the most tiny bubble. It's, like, it's literally like a little town in between Hertfordshire and Essex. Mm-hmm. So it is really small town. I'm like, listen, once you leave that place, it's a completely different space. Mm-hmm. But I think in school, I, I was very grateful to go through so many hardships that by the time I went into the real world, like I had so many lessons and so many, um, just so many different experiences. And then also everyone I was surrounded by, by was very, 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 very rich. Mm-hmm. And being able to see that made it very, very clear. And, and with the support of my parents as well, and telling me that I can I can be whoever I want, it was very apparent to me that I can be who I want. I can, I can reach... And I could dream. I was allowed to dream. Mm. Also, like, I was very, very suicidal, which not many people know at school, especially mm. for, from 14 to 16, I was very, very suicidal. And this, the one thing that kept me going was my dreams. Like, which mm-hmm. is why, like, I harbour them so close to my heart. Mm. Like, my dreams are like, everything to me. My ambition is 
everything to me. It's literally a very big part of me. And that comes down to like little Kalade dreaming. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was, I can't remember who I was saying this to or who I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about this recently. I was like, I was like, I would really like to go back into that child, like primal state of dreaming because when you're that young and you're just dreaming, it's so pure. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back to that because I, I can really dream again. I think as you get older, there's so many like, Things you go through like bills and rent and this and that and you forget about your dreams and you or not forget, but you forget the core of your mm-hmm. dreams. And yeah, school allowed me to dream, I would say. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Um A quick note from our sponsors, Zopa Bank, who are here to help you with your personal finance in the Zopa app. Zopa have a for you section on their app that gives you helpful, personalized insights, like reviewing your subscriptions, checking for cheaper broadband and energy bills. The first thing that you need to do is link your accounts using open banking. Once your accounts are connected, the available data will let Zopa understand your finances and give you personalized insights. It will also analyze your credit file and check your Zopa eligibility. Best of all, it's all free and at your fingertips always. So you can make sure you're making the best, most informed choice with your money 24-7. Download the Zopa app now to find out more. Recently did a, it's funny you should say that, I really recently put a story up on, or a reel actually on my, on my page saying that I've sometimes forgotten like what it feels like mm. to dream because I think when you just get into adult life and like you say, the burden of everything right. kind of, things or you just get a little bit more secure in yourself like things actually become a little bit better for you when you exactly. you end up closer to that dream but you don't then dream what the next right. thing is i i completely i can completely yeah. relate to that because when you're in really really hard times the 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 only thing that can kind of get you out is to kind of think well here's this made up life that i really want for myself right. but when some of that stuff because i know you are you're in a good be- better place <laughs> better, now yes. not like obviously you know we're all working towards something but like right. it, it, it sometimes those dreams kind of fade away a little yeah. bit yeah and like i'm very grateful like my core dreams like my biggest dreams are the come from that very moment i remember yeah. i can literally remember the one of the nights I was literally in my bed and I remember saying to myself, I'm going to be an award-winning actor. I'm going to be an award-winning actor. And that's still one of my biggest goals yeah. to this day. Yeah. And yeah, and it's like, it's not that I've let those dreams drift away, but like you just get so like caught up with the with with this, the way your adult life works that you mm-hmm. forget that, oh wait, I was just a boy dreaming. And, like, mm-hmm. and it's so, I think it's so important that we look back at our, our child selves and just think about who we were and what made us who we are and mm-hmm. how we've either grown or, you know, what we need to go back and take from our, our inner child. Because mm-hmm. I think it's so important. Like, always. Mm-hmm. It must have been really hard for you being like, obviously, like you say, openly gay in school and being mm-hmm. able to kind of be closer to who you want to be in yeah. school. But then coming home and having to like have that double life. What do you, are you do you feel comfortable to yeah. share a bit more about that? Like Absolutely. Being at home... There's, there's so many things. For example, one, I felt so unloved. It wasn't until I turned about 19, I felt for the first time that, oh, wait. I think so when I graduated school, we had like speech day. And that was the first time I felt, I think I ever heard my parents say, I'm proud of you. Mm. And then it wasn't until I turned 19 when I got dropped at Lippa. My parents were like, you know what? Good luck. Like, shout to you. Like, you got into drama school. And I was like, oh my God, I think they might actually love me. Mm. That's so weird. So like literally, like in your formative years, like obviously like from zero to like teen, you're you're very formative years, but that's just your brain and your body actually growing. From 14 to like 18, 19, that's your brain, your actual mind actually changing as an adult and growing into young adult self. My formative years and that was completely distraught and ruined in that sense. I felt unloved by my family. I felt completely isolated. 
I never had any real proper conversations with my parents. It was always like, hi, how are you? How's school? How's good? I'm good, thank you. Like, yeah, how's work? Yeah, good, thank you. Cool. That was literally the most of our conversation. And like it was surface level. very surface mm-hmm. level. And to them, it might have felt more than surface level. Mm-hmm. But to me, it felt nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like I didn't have a space at home. And I was always constantly asked, like, this like this question here is such a trigger for me. Like I absolutely hate being asked this question. What's wrong with you? I hate being asked that because my mum would be like, what's wrong with you? What's the matter? What's the matter? And in my head, I'm thinking I'm literally gay and you hate me for being gay. Like I literally don't thought my parents hated me. I was like, you hate me for being gay. I can't tell you that. And you're asking me what's wrong with me. And let's be flip. Let's be so real. You know what's wrong with me. And I can't tell you what's wrong with me. So you asking me that is triggering me. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is that when you, you got into private school through a scholarship for a bursary as bursary, well. Yes. So obviously like you, did you feel different going to the school because you didn't come from the kind of similar backgrounds? You mentioned obviously everyone around you was like very, yeah. very wealthy, but that wasn't the case for you at home. No, not at all. Like we came from a very, very working class family. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents sacrificed a lot, like a lot. Like to this day, I don't think, how much, I don't know how much they sacrificed, but I know they sacrificed a lot. Mm-hmm. I know they sacrificed so much more than they've ever told us, even though they told us a lot. Um, my mum went, I think at... I can't remember how old I was. I think actually maybe like 14, 15, 16. No, much younger. Yeah. Between like ages of 10, 11, 12, 13, my mum went back to university and was working at Royal Mail. Um, she got a degree, um, nursing and psychology. So now she's a mental health nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad has his own oven cleaning business. And so it was the parallels of being like, that kind of student was different. There was times where my school, like I didn't like, to, I, I hated asking my parents for money. Even when I was a child and I had no source of income, I hated asking them for money. Mm-hmm. Literally, there was, I remember a time where my school shoes literally were ripped at the front and they were literally talking. <laughs> like I think someone called me like slippers or something, flip-flops or whatever. And like my shoes were literally talking. Yeah. And I just didn't ask my parents for any school shoes. And they, my parents are like very prideful. Like they're like, if you need any shoes, just tell us. Like we'll, we'll make it work. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And stuff. And so like, yeah, it was, I never felt out of place for that. But it wasn't until like I got older, I realized how misplaced I actually felt. Um, I think for me, I was always thinking about the whole gay thing so that I didn't have time to literally just deep how poor I was. Mm-hmm. But then there was, as I got older and like my, it was getting a little bit better for us when I got 18, I realized that I actually did feel out of place. There was loads of things that I couldn't do. There's actually this one story that um, I like sharing that happened with my sister and her best friend. We were, I can't remember where we were. We were going to London or something. And my friend, she's very rich. She's Italian, very rich family. Um, gorgeous girl, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous family. Love them down. And her parents gave her pocket money and her debit card, but she was never allowed to use it. because she just had unlimited money in that account that she was never allowed to use. Anyways, and this one time we, I think, for us, me and my sister, it was like, we pay for our, our train fare, which means we couldn't eat like lunch out and we just eat when we go back home. And then her friend had said something like, I don't get why you just can't pay for it. And my sister lashed out because bless her heart, she's all she's ever known was money mm-hmm. and unlimited money at like that to her. And she just couldn't see how someone else just didn't have money. And I don't even know when it, if it clicked for her that day or not. Mm-hmm. But for the first, and there was another friend we were with and that friend was, also rich, but just understood how life worked. And she was like, oh, snap. And I think that was the first time or one of the few, one of the times in my childhood I realised that, yeah, like, people don't even understand what mm-hmm. me and my family go through. Like, it's like, and we, can, we can't we can afford to eat lunch out with you. We can have like a pie crisp and maybe a sandwich out. 
and just about pay for our transport back home. But you are afforded everything. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, very big learning curve. And for me though, something that I've always been very, very good at is speaking to people with this kind of money and those kind of wealth and those kind of privilege. Whereas my sister hadn't at that time because she just latched up. I was like, baby girl, darling, that the way they live is very different. I understand mm -hmm. that you're angry with what she just said, but there's a privilege that comes with her lifestyle that she hasn't been afforded to understand where we come from. And it was, I'm, I've been so lucky to, like the experiences I've been at from being at private school have been unlimited in terms of the way I speak to people from a different class, from different generations and different um, generational wealth and people who are also, I'm, I'm, I was poor back then and we were a very working class family, but there are people who were much poorer than me, not at school, but that I knew. Mm -hmm. For example, where I lived was a very rough area and where we live is not the best area in Hemel Hempstead. But um, yeah, like there was people that were much, much worse off than us. So like I saw that, like literally the people that lived right behind my house, completely different lifestyle to mm -hmm. us. And so being able to see those different parallels kept me very grounded, very humble. It let me dream and it let me understand, okay, cool. This doesn't make, this doesn't have to define you either. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important conversation about intersectionality as well, mm. because this is like race, gender, 100%. class, sexuality, all coming into the conversation here. And I know that word is like such an important one Very, for you. I even have a necklace. You have, a ne you have on your necklace. <laughs> I spotted it earlier. What does that, what does that word mean to you? Intersectional means so many different things to me. For example, first of all, the main thing it means to me is the intersectionality between being a gay and a black man. Mm -hmm. I think when people, for example, in the black community, people talking about like black lives matter and just black lives matter, but it's like a lot of black people don't support all black lives, which is not cool. It's just not right. If you support black lives, support all black lives, black queer lives, black, tra black trans lives, black disabled lives. Like it's all important that all black lives are catered for. And also the intersection to being a working class and a black man and a gay man like those intersection that's insane like mm. but there's other people that have so many different other intersectionalities but for me being a working class person who's seen the struggle and coming from a black background it means that I had to struggle as well being in a private school as a black gay working class man was insane was wild it was crazy the things I saw the things I felt the misplacement for example after BLM happened I don't want to say happened, but after the death of George Floyd and the influx of um, activism and whatnot, me and one of my friends from school, she was two years above me, we decided to go back to our school and we decided to say, hey, listen, like, you know, we actually, upon very, very deep thought, struggled a lot racially at school. Mm -hmm. And for example, there were times where, you know, friends would say the N-word. And at the time, and I would say this, at the time, I didn't have the tools and the knowledge and the education to properly educate myself and have the vocabulary to discuss those conversations with people. Mm -hmm. But I was glad that I was able to go back to school and, and say we were able to change some sort of regulations and laws or whatever and stuff that had just been there since the beginning of the school school year. Um, not school year, but school's history yeah. and stuff. And so being intersectional is something that's important to me. It's who I am at my core. You know, I don't get to choose when I'm black. I don't get to choose when I'm gay. Like, that's just who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very, like, I like to say I'm very, or something that my friend once said to me that I now use a lot is I'm very um, visibly queer. Um, the way I talk, the way I dress, the way I have my hands out, the way I've got my nails done. Per Gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm very visibly queer, mm -hmm. especially um, just on my day to day. Like it's, it's very easy. It's very, 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 I'm very, you can spot me from a mile away. And so, for me, that intersectionality 
becomes very apparent in very different areas of my life, in the way I work, in the way I dress, in the way I feel, in the way I I navigate my life. So it's very important to me, my intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get onto some more lighter topics later yeah. in, in the conversation, chatting a bit more about your 20s. But I, I, I do really want to discuss, if you feel comfortable, mm-hmm. talking about a difficult period that you had in your life yeah. where you were attacked. Yeah. And... For me, I just, I, I can't even understand it or comprehend yeah. it. But do you feel comfortable sharing I a little do. bit about that story? Because I think it's important we have these discussions on the podcast, Absolutely. no matter 100%. how hard or how difficult they are, but only if you feel comfortable. Yes, I feel comfortable. Um, yeah. I, I enjoy sharing my story a lot. Um, if it helps someone else, also it helps, my, helps me. Um, but yes, yeah, so in 2020, yeah, 2020, I turned 21 mm-hmm. and I got my first set of braids. So they were only short and then, as I felt more comfortable, I just got them longer and longer. And so by the time 2021 came around, I just got sort of getting braids. I had really long braids um, that went all the way down to the bottom of my thigh. And so it started over the course of the beginning of summer and it just got worse. The way I was stared at constantly, constantly, I was stared at for having braids. Um, I also had a beard at the time. So it's very apparent that I, I, I'm, I'm very versatile in, my, mm. in the way I present. Sometimes I'm very hyper-feminine and sometimes I'm very hyper-masculine um, with accents of femininity in my mask. For example, I'm wearing a full, I guess you call it a masculine look. Like I'm wearing tr- jeans, baggy jeans, baggy jacket. I've got my nails on and I'm very flamboyant. And I'm wearing heels. Do you know what I mean? I like, mm. I like to make it yeah. me. Love it. And um, so, yeah, so I would get stares at. There was one morning where I was literally walk, working on my way to a job that I got doing a short film. And literally it was like 10 a.m. And there's men drinking beer, screaming, oh, what the, f- what the hell are you? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I'm a boy. I'm a very, very sexy boy. <laughs> and this this lovely lady walked past. She was like, yeah, you are. And and I could see she was so like, she was so disgusted. And she just, she almost didn't know how to navigate the situation. She was just, she was very, not excited, but she was very happy the way I handled it. Yeah. But I could see in the way that I had, the way it happened, she was very like, very uncomfortable. She was yeah. like, what the heck? And then... I deeped it. I was like, whoa, that's really messed up. And then it just got worse over the summer. The looks got worse. You could hear people, I could just hear people saying stuff to me. On nights out when I'd walk back home, people were saying, are oh, you using the F, using so many slurs, F word. And I would just turn around and like, I'm, I'm very, very confrontational. Like if you, if, I just want to say, I always say to people, if you ever meet my mum, Mary Ladipo, Twain Ladipo, like shout to her, <laughs> like shout to her because Seeing a woman so strong and independent yeah. and such a bad bee growing up, like my mom don't take from no one. <laughs> she don't take nothing from no one. No, no one. There's Love not that. a single person <laughs> that can get away with anything with my mom. Mm-hmm. So, and I inherited that the most from her kids. Like out of all her three babies, I'm the one that like, yeah. you don't want to mess with. <laughs> like I'm, I always say to people, I'm like the most nicest person you'll ever meet. I'm like the sweet little angel. Mm-hmm. But I can also be the devil. Yeah, if you don't want mess me with to. you. Don't mess with me. No. <laughs> so like, even when I'm with braids like down to my waist and I'm slim, I'm very, I'm very tiny, I'm very petite. I'm only mm. five foot seven as well. I don't care. Like, I had a group of literally boys, like men, literally hurling bees. I'm like, I'm what? Yeah, I am. I'm like, and they said it after I walked past. I was like, you're a bunch of, you're a bunch of like your wusses. Like your wuss. Like you can't even say it to my face. You got to say it till I've walked past. I'm like, what? What? But then there was this one time, like I don't care. Like if if like I've always said to someone, I've always said. I said on an interview once, I said, if somebody wants to physically assault me for who I am or wants to do something to me for who I am, that's not going to stop. They're going to do it regardless. Yeah, it's that's, not that's a stop from being who not, you want to yeah, be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has no impact on who I am or what I've done or who I am. If they want to do something to you, they're going to do it. Mm. 
and that's unfortunate, but that's just the way the world works. If something, if somebody wants to negatively impact your life, they're gonna do it, or positively impact, they're gonna do it. That's their choice. But what is important is their choice doesn't isn't a reflection of you or who you are, and that's the most important thing. And that's what I guess saved me. And I've, I'm glad that I don't know when that was installed. I think again from Mr. Norman, those kind of things were installed from me from such a young age that nothing that anyone ever does to you is a part of you or who you mm-hmm. are. And so then the summer got worse. Then there was bank holiday weekend, August three, four years ago almost now. Um, no, 2021, so three years, oh my God, yeah, three years ago. Um, it was an awful summer just in general. I'd lost a, a really close friend as well. So then August bank holiday, I was out with my friends. I was super excited because I'd been working all weekend. And this was the one day I got off. But all my friends were in London for like a, an Afro, Afro beat sort of R&B festival. And I couldn't go and I really wanted to go. But there was a, um, a sort of carnival-themed um, R&B, Afrobeat, carnival, Jamaican, Caribbean, excuse me, sort of festival happening in Liverpool. My friends were DJing, girls don't sing, shout to you, my babies. They were <laughs> DJing. And I had my long braids on, blonde, gorgeous. I loved them. Oh, I just loved them. I kind of wish I had shaved at the time just so I could have a really soft face with it. But anyway, besides the point. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I was wearing a crop top. Um, and... We were waiting for the girls to go on. So we were right at the front of the of the, the venue space. And this man on stage, so someone who, with authority, just doused me in water, just completely drenched me and would just throw a bottle at me and just threw it. I was like, and like, I've never cried apart from when I was physically assaulted at school, but I never cried at someone actually abusing me. And I literally ran out. I literally cried. I was, I was, and even to this day, like, I, I still find it so weird that I cried. And like, I was like, whoa, like I cried. And then I was like, and I could hear the artist Alakai Harley, shout to her, a Jamaican dancehall sort of R&B hip hop kind of girl. She was performing. And I was like, whoa. I was like, hold on, wait. Wipe your tears, go back and dance. Like, you're not about to miss Alakai Harley. So I went out and I danced, da-da-da. I was a bit like, I was, I was, I was calm. I, was, I shook it off, da-da-da. Cool, calm. Then my girls DJed and the first thing they said were like, shout to girls and sing because not only are they very, very big on female empowerment, women em- em- empowerment, they're very big on everything right black lives women's lives um just everything mm-hmm. everything that's right in the world they support and they're very vocal about it very very vocal about it uh, especially gay rights everything and they literally got on the mic and they're like listen we do not stand for this. They, they literally said to the people like if we don't get this person kicked out we're not the djing we're not djing here mm, so you lot do what we gotta do and we'll do what we gotta do and then later uh, i got changed just because i wanted to get changed i was wearing a white top because we we're going to Inc, a club in Liverpool, got stares at. Nothing happened, but I got stares at again that night because I'm wearing braids and very straight area, straight club, I guess you could call it. And then we went to get some food after the night was over. A man called me some slurs as well. And then just got physically assaulted me. Was on the floor, bleeding, was wearing a white top, was all I, all over my top. I took it off. And like, for me, what was so sad was it was in the middle of Con Square and no one said anything. No one helped me, no, nothing. And my friends were there. Obviously, they helped. And I was just so, I was just so, I was just so angry. Mm-hmm. I was so angry. But I was like, I was upset. I was like, what the heck? I was just like, like, I was just so dazed and confused. I was like, what the heck? Then I was walking home because I literally live like, literally like, not even 100 meters from where it happened. As I'm topless, a white top covered in blood, covering my face, lips swollen up. I'm literally walking into my house. Another man is hurling abuse at me. Like three times in one day. And that one was like the one that did it for me. Because I'm like, as a human being, how can you literally stare at someone covered in blood, clearly in distress, and hurl abuse at them? Mm. 
Like, it's one thing to kick a man while they're down that you know, or whatever, you know, revenge or whatever. To a stranger that you don't know, that was wild to me. And I literally kicked up. I was like, I literally threw my t-shirt. I was like, what do you want? I'm like, we, I was at that point, I was I was ready to go. Yeah. I was like, you're the, I was like, unfortunately, mate, I've been through it all day. Insecurity has been going through all around all day. People stoned me the whole day as well. Bang man, these are just three big things that happened on the day. I was still getting stares at and people making comments the entire day, anyways. Just walking on the street. So I was like, you you can get it right now. I was like, babe, you, and my friend literally had to pull me back because I, I was I was definitely going to fight him. Mm-hmm. I was ready to fight because I was like, I hadn't even fought back all day. I just let it happen. But he, I was, I was infuriated. I was like, mm-hmm. I was just like, so I was so disgusted in humanity at that point. I was like, the other two like whatever, but you, you're kicking someone down while they're bleeding. Like I would never dream of going to someone while they're like, I've seen people cry on the street and be like, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? And the mm-hmm. train said, that's the kind of person that I am. To kick a man down, a person down where they're literally bleeding is wild to me. In need of medical assistance and you're literally hurling it. That's so wild to me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that happened. And out of that, I created my own brand. Noir Gaze, Noir being the French word for black. And then Mm -hmm. Gaze with a Y in between A and Z, um, as in like the gay gaze. And like, I've birthed a queer black space for people in Liverpool, um, which we will expand over global domination but yeah like it's yeah, very important will. to me that, <laughs> yes amen to that but yeah I'm very big on that because I after I was attacked there was nowhere for me to really go yeah. for my intersectionality mm-hmm. there were places like the Anthony Walker Foundation which I love they're very very big on um racial um mm-hmm. justice and stuff like that and then there was Hematopia again very very big brand in Liverpool um for um queer lives and LGBTQ plus communities, but there was no one that really shared my intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to create that for myself. And we have club nights every other month. We have community outreach. We've had um, workshops that are in the work. And we've also had panel talks um, last year. Um, we also are launching our own magazine next year. Fingers crossed. Amazing. And we have so many other things that went when works with um, that I'm super excited that I can't wait to start working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I was able to create my own brand out of that. Mm-hmm. I mean such a difficult experience for you to go go through but like obviously you've managed to create something so important to so yes. many people off the back of that so I mean hats off to you thank you um I think one of the things I wanted to, to discuss with you guys is that like you obviously were with your friends but you you kind of felt like you couldn't report this to police because nothing would really happen yeah. like so you know as a reading like because this made national like press yeah, as well this yeah, whole experience idea, yeah. for, for you guys and you just were like I just don't feel like that's gonna help me enough yeah. so like creating what you feel like could solve the problem right. or, and how ha- will help people who are in your situation I think I mean amazing hats off to thank you thank you yeah I think there's a level of privilege to be able to go to the police mm-hmm. um, and feel safety in the police and I think for me where my safety was is being around my people and being around people that look like me who have similar experiences with me mm-hmm. and to create a space where we can talk and discuss about our traumas but also a space where we can just talk about our joys and our um, our lives, mm-hmm. whether that be mundane lives or our creative lives or just just our lives, mm-hmm. and just gossip and, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And I'm glad that I have that space with people. And literally having people come up to me saying, thank you so much for creating this space. It's like, I'm like, thank you. Thank you for showing up. Like, that's mm-hmm. the important thing. Without there, is, without, there isn't people without the community. Exactly. And yeah. so, yes, I'm very grateful to have been the mm-hmm. vessel to create Noir Gaze. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're going to chat a little bit more about your 20s in general. And as you know, we ask people the same kind of questions when they come on the podcast and we talk a lot about your biggest adulting failures so mm. maybe it's something funny that's happened to you the biggest kind of mess up that you've kind of had um, does anything spring to mind when you think about adulting failures yes 
big one. <laughs> and it's a bit of a tricky one, but um, rent and it happens to trend. So I got kicked out of one of my houses. I got kicked out of a house okay. this year. And it was a big, big learning curve. Um, so basically I did student accommodation for my first year at uni, but for the last two, three years, three years, yeah, I've been living in, um, in, a, in a normal house, in a normal flat. And I was living with one other person and... Yeah, we got kicked out, essentially. We got section 13, which essentially means it's like a legal threat. So it's like you have two weeks to get out of the house with all your stuff and pay all the rent and all the arrears that you have. Or you can stay in the house, but legally they will take you to court. And most likely, like, you're going to get kicked out of the house Mm. because... And then on top of that, you have to pay all the court fees and all that sort of stuff. So obviously we decided to leave because we, you know, we were in the wrong. Essentially, I was wrong. And essentially the onus fell on me because what had happened was... Um, and this is, again, one of the difficulties of being a freelancer slash creative industry person. Da, 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 da. And so essentially what had happened was our rent was always late, whether it be one day late, two days late, a week late. It was always late. Other times for me, it could have been late by like a month. And then I paid twice at one time. Mm-hmm. There was two months. I can't remember which ones they were, but over last year, I paid a section of my rent. I paid, I think more than half, more than a third for one month. So like say it was 500, I paid like 400. It was much more than that. But then there was another month where I paid, then our rent increased. And I think I paid like 400 out of 600. And then all the other months following afterwards, I paid the right amount. I paid again. And I completely forgot that I hadn't paid off the other two months that I paid, that I didn't pay in full. Mm-hmm. So what was happening was I was getting rent, um, late fees on top of that. And I didn't know. And then when my rent, the, our um, age, our letting agency was telling us, she was like, okay, cool, rent's late. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll pay it. Da-da-da. And I paid it. Then it got to like February and she's like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to send you a spreadsheet of all the rent that you've paid. And I can see some orange lines and those are the rents that we hadn't paid. And those are the two months. Bearing in mind, my flatmate was also late, but she was only late by like a day or two or whatever. And da 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 And for her, she was, she had other ways to pay for her rent as well. For example, she was able to, someone help her. I didn't, I'm, I'm a very, and she's, pr- she was lucky, like, you know, and I, and I always said, and I said, I had to apologize to her because I almost took it out on her for having an, another way of paying for her rent. Mm. That's how she pays her rent isn't my business. Yes, we live together, but that's not my business. Mm-hmm. How, how, how she paid for her rent, doesn't matter. She paid her rent, simple. She paid her rent. That's just what it was. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so I saw the two orange lines. I was like, oh my God, I haven't paid those two rents. And then I saw the late fees on the bottom as well. And then I was like, oh my gosh. And then we got a section. And then she was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll pay it, we'll pay it, pay it. My biggest thing also is, and I need to do this more. And, and I guess this comes down from my trauma of like not telling people when I'm being bullied or not telling anyone anything when I'm going through anything hard. I wouldn't tell anyone, especially my late agency people that needed to know mm-hmm. why I wasn't paying my rent late. I wouldn't tell them when it was expected by. Like, if you're watching this, if you are in a position where you can tell someone or not even when you can. If you don't know you're gonna be able when your rent's gonna be paid, tell tell your letting agency. Nine mm. times out of ten, they are understanding and they'll help you. Especially in this current climate. Literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell them. And that's one of my biggest regrets. Yeah. Like I have a few regrets in life. There's only three regrets. I'll tell you the other one in a minute. But like, I wish I had just been much more upfront. Hi, Tia. I don't know when I'm gonna pay rent. You know what? I'm working as a part-time student, um, full-time student, but part-time job. My student finance comes in on this day. Um, I only get paid this amount of money from work this day. Um, so I should be able to pay the rent off by this time. Because what she can do is then tell the, the age, the the landlord, and the landlord can be like, hey, cool, that's calm. Because nine times out of ten, the landlord doesn't really need the money. He just 
wants the money. Well, Kalala, is I know that like you are destined for so many big things. Like you have obviously overcome so much to get to where you are, but you are doing like I know some of the projects that you're working on right now. <laughs> and they are really, really, really cool. Thank like you. I know we're gonna see you on our TV screens, Amen. in our cinemas, yes. in our magazines. Yes. Like I just know you're destined for amazing things, yeah. even though you've kind of been through some difficult things but I just love how open you are about thank that you. as well so you know honestly thank honestly you. cannot wait to see see what the future holds for you thank um, you but we always end the podcast with the same question that we ask all of our guests yes. and obviously it's about this podcast is all about your 20s mm. and what you would tell your younger 20 year old self so yes. if you could look back at 20 year old Kalada and give just one piece of advice what would you say? Oh okay where was I at 20? 20 I was in Liverpool um, 20 year old self I would just say Wow. I, I think, you know what I would say to my 20-year-old self? I would say, don't be afraid to really go for what you want to go for. I think in my t- early 20s, I was very, very like, just like bored, not bored, but just very blasé about life. I was okay with just being, doing nothing, but go for it. Like, I think I've always sat on such a huge amount of potential. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, so there's loads of people in my life that are doing amazing, huge things. And I know my time will come and I'm very grateful to be where I'm at in my journey. But I feel like if I had just worked a little bit harder in my tw- early 20s, I could be in a different space right now. Um, or maybe, I'm, but then again, I'm supposed to be where I'm, I'm at, where I'm supposed to be where I'm at, I believe. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I feel like in my early 20s, don't don't be afraid to go for what you want to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank I love you chatting so much. to you. I've and, had a great time. And good luck with everything that you've got coming up. In the thank future. you so much. <laughs>